Hey everybody, Future Amon here, and I just want to say thank you so much to Games Workshop for giving us this preview content in advance for us to review for the community. We're really excited to talk about it, and again, they gave us this product for free. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. In this episode, we will be discussing the brand new Warhammer Underworlds Warband for the season of Nethermaze, Hexbane's Hunters. But before we do that, we want to thank our patrons who help keep the lights on. Thank you to everyone who supports us. If you're interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash pathtoglory. If that's not a possible, we still appreciate the listens and the ratings. Every little bit helps. This is your host, your boy, Aman Kusro, and I'm joined by my co-host, your other boy, Zach Cachetta, a.k.a. Requisin. How's it going, brother? I'm doing great. I get to talk about some more Underworlds. I got to play some Underworlds, and uh, yeah, just good times all around. Hell yeah. You had your game night today, correct? Uh, yeah, last night, uh, last night, I was playing some Warcry then, but, uh, this past weekend, I actually went up to Madison, saw the, uh, What the Hex guys, and played a little bit of Underworlds in a one-dayer there. Oh, that was the event you were talking about, the championship of what, yeah. two hours away or something? Yeah, yeah, two and a half hour drive, but, uh, it was worth it, it wasn't bad. How many people? Uh, only had six show up. Sounds like they've got a pretty big regular group, they said their league has, like, 12 people in it, but... Apparently, oh, schedules didn't really line up for a lot of them. So, uh, But yeah, it was nice. Got to play some great opponents, and uh, it was a good time all around. Good. Good. I'm glad that you had a great time. Got to play some championship games. What did you play? I brought Exile Dead. Oof. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, so I tied my first game. I actually played... Um, so I played Omniops Skyler. Uh, yep. And nice guy. Great guy. Uh, we tied and i won by tiebreaker uh in round one and then uh so well so we we tied we didn't get to a game three the 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 pattern was that exile dead just take a really long time to play and i didn't get to uh i didn't get to natural conclusions in any of my rounds and i, I kind of felt bad about that uh, so mm. sorry to any of my opponents but uh it did kind of work out fine um you know it it wasn't that we uh we didn't know who was going to win most of the games. It was more like, you know, we were rushing to finish up our, our last couple of rounds. Um, but yeah, uh, Skyler was playing Ideneth Deepkin, um, which I think he borrowed a warband for, because I don't think he had it painted up. So he had uh, somebody else's painted warband. Um, nice. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really interesting matchup because they are so fast and they have such variable threat ranges that it's really easy for them to get to Dentalos uh, and kind of go after him early. Um, so we each won one. We didn't get to play a game three. Uh, and then I played um, Alex Gonzalez, uh, who is from uh, Garage Hammer. Um, he was also playing Elthane Soul Raid, so I got to do that matchup twice in a row. Um, nice. And then after that, I played against uh, Wormspat, one of their local players. One of their, uh, I think he's a newer player for them. Um, and he brought Wormspat, and uh, that was a pretty good one, actually. Um, you know, zombies are kind of like the new hotness right now, but in all honesty, killing four wound fighters is just like, 
it just comes down to dice, uh, especially when they've got those range two and range three fighters. So uh, it was actually a really fun matchup. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good day. It was a good event. Yeah, I want to dissect that Wormspat Exile Dead matchup a little bit, but oh, yeah. because we've got such a packed episode. I think what we'll do is we'll save that for next time, but mm-hmm. really happy that you got to play some championship games. I mean, that's really cool in person. Yeah. I know that's been yeah. hard lately, so. Finding finding in-person events, especially like one dayers, has been pretty rough, so uh, I was just happy that they ran one. Very nice. Were the hosts there? Uh, Phil was running it. Davey was out of town for the day. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. All righty. Well, um, we will be skipping our leave it or leave it segment as well as like the recap that we kind of do i know zach did a little bit of that and super excited to hear about in-person championship events but i'm gonna hold off myself and we'll cover that in a future episode because today is all about vampire slaying ghoul killing honestly just bringing the fury and the might of sigmar (laughs) to the darkest corners of the mortal realms the order of azir is here and they're here to stay. And we're excited about that, man. I love these minis. And it's been a long time since we had just like... I mean, Warcry has given us, you know, regular mortal humans, but like chaos. And it's been a long time since we've seen regular mortal humans, but just like, you know, the order ones, the normal ones that are just trying to kind of live their lives and do stuff. So it's great to see a new warband of this variety. Um and the minis are just, as usual for Underworlds, just amazing. Yeah, they are gorgeous. I mentioned on the last episode that I built them. Mm. So, very excited. I think everyone's going to be really happy with them. I will say, be a little careful with Bridget. They come in a bunch of pieces. And um, I think Hexbane probably has the most pieces. But he's fairly simple to put together. It's Bridget, the girl with the guns. Um, be careful um, with her chest piece because it's very easy to mess up her collar. So I had to do a little bit of uh put to fix that. Oh, whoops. But, uh, yeah. Always dry yeah. fit your pieces, kids. I did. That's the worst part. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah. Anywho. Yeah, so let's talk about Hexbane's Hunter. So mm-hmm. we're going to start with a little bit of lore. Um, I completely agree with you. It's nice to see humans in the underworlds. Warcry scratches that itch a little bit, and so does some of the chaotic factions in Underworlds and in Warcry, but today we get some Order humans, so... Technically good guys. Yeah. Is there a good guys? I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than 40k, but uh, still not quite 100%. Sure, sure, yep. I completely agree. Okay, so... Haskell Hexbane and his band of mirthless followers are as ruthless as they are determined. They are members of the Order of Azir, a Sigmarite organization dedicated to the rooting out and purging of evil across the mortal realms. This clandestine sect has sent Hexbane and his hunters deep within the nether maze to bring the burning light of Azir to the very heart of that foul and unnatural place, that they might scour it in the cleansing fires of justice and order. Though made of but human flesh and blood, Hexbane's hunters burn with conviction and bring with them the full might of humanity's ingenuity and artifice. Let the shadows beware. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. Very exciting. Yeah, it's great. I like it. I'm here. I'm here to slay. 
I'm here to make the shadows beware. And so, we're going to start a review. Now, if you've heard one of the Path to Glory reviews before, you're going to know that we're going to go through fighter cards, we're going to go through the objectives, then the gambits, and the upgrades. So we're going to take turns reading and then giving our first take, or whoever feels like jumping in first. But I'm going to kick things off with Haskell Hexbane, the leader of this motley crew. Now, Hexbane is, um, was previewed earlier on Warcom. So if you did see that article, great. If you didn't, we're going to go through all of it right now. So Haskell is a leader and a hunter. He has a move of three, because he's a human, he's slow. One block, three wounds. His main attack profile is Black Powder Pistols, which is a range of three. Three Fury, one damage with the Grievous Special Rule. For those of you unfamiliar, on a critical hit, it dumps up to plus one damage, so it'll deal two damage on a crit. Now, this fighter's inspiration is this fighter's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action. Now, it doesn't state specifically black powder pistols, so if you get a little tricky or a little ingenuity with some weapon upgrades, you can still kill an enemy fighter and inspire with Hexbane. Now, this is the coolest part, I think, about the Warband, and this is all um, explained on Haskell's card. It's called Price of Victory, a Warband special rule. It's a reaction. Use this after a friendly hunter is dealt damage that would take them out of action. Out of the out-of-action check, give this fighter one upgrade from your hand or remove one charge or one move token from this fighter. Do not spend any glory points when you play that card. So, very similar to Ready for Action, but also, you know, some of the older cards. I forget the name from the first two seasons where you can just give a fighter an upgrade. Zach, what are your thoughts? Actually, before we get Zach's thoughts, I'm going to jump to the Inspired Challenge. Yeah, let's see that. Yep, so when Hexbane inspires, he keeps his Price of Victory reaction. His Black Powder Pistols now go straight to do damage. There's no Grievous, so if you hit, you hit. You deal two damage. And then he gets to use his secondary action. So the Miniature, he's holding a torch. It's or a brand. He gets to swing with this brand and smack you with it. It's a range one, two smash, two damage attack again with Grievous. So you can crit into three damage. Now, Zach, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Hexbane? Um, you're always a little worried when you see three health leaders, right? Uh, that's mm -hmm. Zarbag, that's Yulthari, um, and Kishitaka, uh, and maybe um, Thedra? Can't remember if she's three or not. Yep, she's three wounds. Um, yeah. But being range three baseline having one block baseline makes him a little bit more interesting than both like he's just it's smidge more durable because he can kind of stand behind uh this is a six model warband he can sit back and shoot three dice with grievous is great three dice with base two later on is even better um i think he's i think he's going to be good like yeah are, are there going to be some fast warbands who can just kind of dive bomb him and murder him early on sure but like i think that's one of the risks you take when you play like a, a high model squishy warband as well um i like him though i like ranged leaders uh especially like you know there is some potential here to voltron uh hexbane if you kind of get a lot of upgrades in your hand and you know get to use price of victory a lot um i'm curious what do you think you're going to use price of victory for more you know because you kind of have these the duality of it you can use it to get those free cards or you can use it to remove the tokens. What do you think you're going to be using it more for? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think you know, unfortunately, the boring answer is it depends, right? And <laughs> so, I think early on in the game, if I lose some fighters and my other fighters haven't charged yet, because you know you can't control when your fighters are taken out of action. Mm-hmm. Um, just they're on some upgrades. You know, there's some really good upgrades in this warband. There's some really good upgrades in the universal uh, card pool right now. So you know, if you lose a fighter early, slap on an upgrade. But the really cool thing is, is that. Like, there's this mini game that you kind of play in Underworlds is, like, sometimes when a fighter has activated, you can kind of ignore them, mm-hmm. right? Because they've kind of done their bit, and you can go, you know, kind of, you know, munch on or kill some of the other supporting cast. But you can't really do that in this warband, because if you kill a Bridget or a dog or something along those lines, um, and God forbid all of you who attack the doggos, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, the thing is, is that fighter is now you know, ready and ready to go. He can move or charge again, he or she. And so I really like that conceptual aspect of it because oftentimes you're going to just probably go for the tooled up fighter that's already charged if there are other hunters left on the board because you're going to just give that action economy to that fighter um, and it's just going to be maybe a bad sign for you and your warband. Mm-hmm. Now, all of, obviously that always depends on positioning and things like that, but... I like that aspect of the warband. Um, you also mentioned you like range leaders. I love range leaders. Mm-hmm. Look, dude, I played a lot of profiteers. I played a lot of far striders. Okay, yeah. I am very used to leaders with range three doing one damage, inspiring into potentially two. Um, Sanson didn't, but Thundric did. Lund did, and so I'm very happy to see that because um, that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I love it. It's good. You know, one damage people complain about, but once you get, you can get, if you get all the crit, which is half the time you hit, right? Statistically, mm-hmm. you're going to be doing two damage anyways, and then you're going to get that flat two damage upon inspiration. So I like Haskell. Is he a little, um, I guess, easy to kill? Maybe. I mean, if you think about it, he's just Dead Eye Lund, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty similar stat line on the front side. Um, yeah, and I definitely agree that, you know, it's going to make your opponent play differently, like, who they attack, where they attack. But even if they, like, make the quote-unquote correct decision, like, oh, you know, go after the charged one because you don't want him to remove his charge token, you're still giving an upgrade to another fighter. So you kind of win either way. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to be really powerful in Rivals. Uh, one of the things about Rivals versus uh, Championship is that Rivals has a much lower glory count in most games. So, mm-hmm. you know, in championship round two or three, you generally have enough glory to be like, okay, you know, I don't really care about getting a free upgrade because I got the glory to do it. In Rivals or Rivals Plus, if you're playing those formats, a free upgrade is actually like pretty primo to get. And having that just kind of baseline on your fighters, I think is going to make these guys really cool for new players playing in those uh, different formats. Yeah, I completely agree. And and as we you know, go through the warband and we see all the cards. You're going to see that this deck is actually a great rivals deck. Mm-hmm. This warband is great in rivals and they're going to have a lot of synergy. They're going to do really well and, you know, garner a lot of success. I agree. Because there is just a ton of synergy here. There's a lot of good cards, um, which kind of offsets the fact that they are a bit squishy. So let's jump to our next fighter. This is Amos Duncaro. He's a brawler and a hunter, which we love. Um, so range one, two smash, two damage, great axe attack. He's three move, one block, and three wounds. So very similar 
defensive profile to his leader. Now, Duncaro is um, kind of Haskell's bodyguard, and so his inspiration um, demonstrates that by he inspiring when an enemy fighter's attack action targets a friendly Haskell Hexbane. So very similar to the Ripa mechanic. Mm-hmm. So if Hexbane is ever targeted, Duncaro just gets inspired, whether that attack hits or not. Um, he also has the Price of Victory reaction, which we went over earlier, and he has another special ability called Reassuring Presence. If this fighter is within two hexes of another friendly hunter, and that hunter is the target of an attack action, this fighter is a supporting fighter. Now, when Duncaro, or Amos, inspires, um, he gets cleave on his Great Axe attack, and it goes to three smash. So very accurate attack ability, but other than that, there's not much inspiration going on, um, in terms of changes at least. So um, it kind of offsets the fact that if your opponent never hits Hexbane, um, you're not really playing too much of a difference. You're just missing out on cleave and one dice. Mm-hmm. But two smash is still a very respectable attack. Zach, what do you think about Amos? Um, he's a solid little backup fighter. I think his, you're going to more use him for reassuring presence than anything. I think early on, two smash, two damage is kind of like your standard good but not great attack. Um, so you know he's not a three damage. He's not super accurate. You know, you're not really going to be, like, relying on him to go on and, like, take some heads uh, in most matchups. But what you are going to do is, uh, you know, use his free support to um, make your other guy safer. One dice defense is not great, but one dice block with, you know, a support that you're basically always going to have is, like, it's about as good as you can get on one dice, honestly. Um so yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I think you're going to kind of ni- place him nice and centrally, and then your opponents kind of have to decide: Am I going to go after Hexbane, who's kind of your important ranged fighter that does all this other stuff, or am I going to go after Amos, uh, who's going to be giving out the support? But if I go after Amos, then Hexbane is probably going to get be getting an upgrade or removing a charge token, and it's going to put some interesting decisions in your opponent's hand. And I love that in a warband. Same. I completely agree. I mean, reassuring presence is such a nice boon to the fighters uh, because of their single, de- you know, defensive stat. So if you can finagle onto a um, cover hex, it significantly improves the survivability, survivability, right? Adding two sides on the die rather than just one. But just in general, if you're blocking on, you know, a shield, you have, a f- I think it's 50% chance, you know, including the crit to roll a success. And this bumps that up even a little bit better. So um, we're looking really good with Duncaro, and he kind of fulfills that bodyguard-type role. But again, I like the fact that, you know, two smash, two damage. I mean, that's a that's a fiend, right? That's a Magor's fiend. Yeah. So, And we all know how you can get a quick early charge, maybe get a quick kill to help speed things up on the glory train. So, big fan of Duncaro. Yeah. Next fighter is Bridget Axwold. She's a hunter. Um, she has a stat line of three move, one dodge, and two wounds now she has two weapon attack profiles um she has dual axes which is a range one three fury two damage attack and a volley pistol which is range three two smash one damage with the volley special rule um volley says reaction the first time this attack action is made each round if the target is adjacent to this fighter plus one dice or plus two damage to this attack action which is really, really neat. It can go up to three damage. She also has 
the price of victory reaction um, that we saw in Hexbane and Duncaro. Now, she inspires when your leader inspires. So as long as your leader gets a kill, she will inspire along with Hexbane. Now, when she inspires, she goes to two dodge. Her dual axes go to three smash, two damage with scything, which is pretty big. And her volley pistol goes from two smash to three fury with volley and cleave. Zach, what's your thoughts on Bridget? Uh, well, she's kind of set up to be your um, w- one of your weaker fighters, right? And you got this two dodge or this two wounds, one dodge going to two dodge. Um, she inspires alongside your leader, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a little hard to use. I like that she's got that um, goes to three damage if you're adjacent in the first time. So it kind of encourages you to like, yeah, you're going to sprint up field with her, unload the, the volley pistol in somebody's face, hit him for three damage, and then maybe she gets hit and then you can inspire another hunter if she dies. Like... Um, I feel like her role is kind of straightforward, but at the same time, because she's got a relatively reliable scything melee attack and she's got an okay, but not amazing shooting attack. Like there is a little bit of flexibility to her. I don't know if you'll build around her, but I think she's going to be useful in most situations. So she feels kind of nice. I completely agree. I think Bridget is one of those fighters similar to Jagathra, right? From Godsworn Hunt where you can mm. get a really nice alpha strike with the fighter if you really want to. Um, you know, if you really think there's a juicy target lined up, you can tempt fate and roll two smash, three damage. You know, if obviously if the fighter's within range, which is really cool. You know, that can be a really nice way to start the game and, you know, put your opponent on the back foot. Um, even if she dies, right, two wounds, that's okay because you get that price of victory reaction, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Buff up some of your other fighters. Um, but there's also that other side of her, as you alluded to, is that when she's inspired, you know, three smash, um, scything two damage is pretty damn good. And so I think it's going to be a very matchup dependent play with her. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing against a horde war band, maybe you want to keep her in the back. But if you're not, or you maybe want to get like an alpha strike on a, you know, a Drizgit or a Snurk even, you know, who hasn't inspired yet, this could be your way to do it. Uh, and it's not bad attack. Two smash is nothing to snooze at. Yeah, I mean, she's not bad at all, all around. It's just, uh, um, she wouldn't, like, pop, I, I think she'd be, if she was, like, a three or four wound fighter, would be like, oh my gosh, she's the best fighter in this war band, because she's, like, so flexible and stuff. But, like, you know, you're balancing that cool flexibility uh, and power alongside her squishiness. So, like you said, yeah, I think you're right, um... You know, maybe in like a Gitz or a Skeleton or an Exile Dead matchup, you're hanging out in back waiting for her to inspire alongside alongside a Hexbane and be like, surprise, by the way, I've got three smash scything attack and just go in and absolutely ruin some other Horde Warband's day. Uh, it'll be pretty... It, I, I think we'll see that in some matchups. Yeah, I think Bridget is the definition of go big or go home. Mm-hmm. You know, because her miniature is so dainty, I can see why the design team gave her two wounds. It doesn't make sense to give her any more than that. I mean, she's a very small miniature um, in terms of, like, constitution. But honestly, like, I really like the fact that they were like, well, she's, you know, sometimes big things come in small packages. And she can do a lot of damage, you know, if you invest, you know, the, the time and the resources into her. 
But, you know, sometimes she'll just go down early and that's okay. Because you've got price of victory. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now we come to my favorite fighter, <laughs> Quiet Pac. Um, he's a really, really interesting guy. Um, um, if you listen to the Warhammer uh, stream, um, and if you look at like some of the card, and you can infer from the text that Quiet Pac's been through a lot. Um, his body is covered in burn wounds and burn scars, and so he wears armor and like a Doctor Doom esque mask to cover his face, to, you know, because to hide his gruesome injuries. But He's got some really, really cool doggies that are his friends and companions, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Quiet Pac is a hunter. He's range, sorry, he's move three, two block, two wounds. So very similar to our Lord and Savior, the crab. <laughs> um, crossbow launcher is his first attack, range three, two smash, two damage with a reload ability. Reload means this fighter can only make this attack action once per phase, but the attack also has knockback. He has the price of victory reaction. He also has a second attack, um, which means he just slaps you with his crossbow stock. It's a range one, two fury, one damage. It's not a very inspiring attack action, uh, but that crossbow launcher is pretty solid. Now, Quiet Pock inspires when a friendly rat spike and or a friendly grot biter is out of action. If you're not sure who those are, those are the doggies, rat spike and grot biter. Now, when Quiet Pock inspires... Um, his crossbow launcher goes to three smash and it goes to knockback two. It still keeps the reload ability and still does two damage. And his crossbow stock goes from two fury to two smash. And that's quiet Pac. What do we think, Zach? Um, I will say that I wish he had lost reload on his inspired side, but I said the same thing about, um, Storm of Celestis when they came out. Uh, they kind of had the same thing, right? Where it was like, everybody has a range 3-2 damage attack. That's crazy, but they can only use it once per turn. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, in a in a large model warband like this, it's probably okay because you're probably not just sitting there turning off anyway. you got other stuff to do, so probably are only shooting it once per round, and that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, this is like, it's kind of a wild stat line, right? Two block is really, really good. But two wounds yeah. is not, so it's like it's going to be very swingy how much he survives depending on what charges you and what their profile has, whether they have cleave, whether they're rolling three or four dice. Um, but range three, two damage right off the crack. Like even if you just kind of set him up in you know in the you're kind of like backline or midline, and like your opponent comes up to you and you're just like surprise bang, and then you follow up with your uh, your leader shooting. You know, you can do some serious range damage early on. You know, they're they're not a straightforward range three warband like something like Profiteers you were talking about or Far Striders, where it's just you set up a kill box and anything that walks in the middle of your models gets shot to death. You kind of have to think about the order in which you shoot things, when you charge things, who's shooting what, which models are out front to take damage. Um, and so it's going to take a little bit of practice, I think. But I think you can really set up a very strong, um, you know, range-focused team out of these guys. And Quiet Pac is definitely like a cornerstone part of that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I'll jump to your first point, which you mentioned earlier about losing reload on Inspire. Mm -hmm. I would have loved that, too. I think, I think this probably exists to encourage you to use your other fighters. 
as you mentioned, it's very easy to rely on like two or three fighters in a larger warband, right? Like we kind of do that a lot. Like if you play Thorns, you're kind of just playing with Everhanged, um, the Briar Queen, and Farclav. If you're playing with Grimwatch, it's the Duke, Valerie. Maybe you have a couple. If you're doing the Res thing, it's a little different. Um, but, you know, Gristlewell is kind of your beater. So it's very easy to rely on certain fighters. Um, and so I do like the fact that Pac can only make this crossbow launcher attack three times a game. But that being said, if you get him inspired, it can be pretty dirty because three smash, maybe give him a glory seeker, maybe give him a fighter's ferocity. You know, you can do four damage, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty easily. So, um, it's a powerful attack. I understand why it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the profiteer in me cries, but, uh, you know, I, I like him. And, and, you know, we all know how tanky doing claw and the stalag squig can be, right? Like very, very tanky two wound, two block fighters. So as long as you can avoid cleave, maybe even get him on a cover hex. I don't think he's going anywhere for a while. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, but I, I don't know if we talked about his inspire condition. Um, a friendly rat spike and or friendly grot biter is out of action. Uh, Pac loves his dogs. And that's how you know he's a good guy. Bad people don't love their dogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did mention the inspire, but I mean, I'd be mad too if someone killed my dog. I'd probably take a crossbow launcher and shoot them as well. So Yeah. Um, but that's not going to happen, so we're good. Um, Grotbiter and Ratspike are two companions. Um, they're beasts, and they're companion to Quiet Pock. Now, both of them have a very similar stat line, so I'm going to kind of lump them together. They're both four move. They're both two wounds. They're both one dodge. They both have a ferocious bite ability. Well, Grotbiter's is called tearing bite. Miles Ratspike is called ferocious bite. Mm. But they're both range one, they're both two fury, and they're both one damage. Now, these fighters inspire in the same way that Pac does. If one of the other dogs is out of action, they'll inspire. Um, or if a friendly quiet Pac is out of action. Correct, correct, yes. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, one thing to note about both of these fighters is these fighters cannot be hunters. This And another interesting thing about both of these fighters is this fighter has no bounty unless the other dog is out of action. So the first dog that dies in the game, your opponent is getting no glory. But however, when both dogs do, if they are, end up removed from the game, then your opponent will get one glory. Um, So even the fact that this fighter has six fighters, you're only giving up five bounty is very interesting. Um, Now, both of them have a loyal hound reaction. So use this after a friendly hunter's move action. This fighter makes one move action. So this kind of helps with action economy. You have six fighters. But technically, you can move all six fighters in four activations. Now, if and when these companions inspire, their attacks go to three fury, but they still stay at one damage, and they still can't be hunters, and they still retain the beast characteristic. Zach, what are your thoughts on our two doges? Um, I'm going to be really interested to see how people use them. Uh, I mean, you can just... Because the first one doesn't give glory, right? It's kind of a gimme. You can just like run it up and sit it on a uh, cover hex. Um, if you're running things like um, Horrors in the Dark or Fearless Seekers, where you just have to be on cover and doesn't necessarily, or, you know, a uh, sudden revelation where you just have to delve, and none of these ha- things necessarily have to be uh, holding an objective, which bees can't do. 
you know, you can move them up and just be like, okay, you know, it sucks if I lose one, but also you don't get glory off of it. And if you don't attack it, you know, I, I, you don't get glory off the first one. I inspire two of my fighters if you kill it. And then if you ignore it and, you know, don't let me inspire these guys, then I'm just going to, you know, score ever downwards, uh, sudden revelation, fear the seekers, sinking feeling, et cetera, et cetera, all these other cover things. Uh, mm-hmm. Or I'm just using it to get support for all my ranged fighters. And you're going to have to deal with this dog constantly giving out support kind of in the same way the fish and the crab do in soul raid. Um, but you know, for a range three faction. So I think this is like a, uh, I, I think they're going to be really important pieces for more positional ce- cerebral players who like really try to play mind games with their opponents. Cause it's like, you know, I feel like one of the big questions with this warband is who does your opponent attack? Everything that dies gives me something when it dies. And in the case of Quiet Pac, I've got a two block fighter right off the bat. So like, you don't even want to punch this dude. Um, and I think that's really cool. You just got like, you're putting, again, I said this like three times now, like you're putting so many difficult decisions on your opponent and I think a smart player is going to be able to use that to get advantage in the early game. I agree. And, and I completely agree with that overall sentiment. Um, regarding Gropbiter and Radspike, like, I really like your assessment of the fact like they can just jump up the board, um, maybe get you an early reckless swing, you know, or jump on a cover hex, block a cover hex that you know is an objective so that your opponent uh, has to deal with that fighter somehow. Whether it's expending a gambit or, you know, killing that fighter, thus inspiring two of your other fighters. I think there's a lot of play there. I think you're absolutely correct. Cerebral players, Trixie players um, will be able to utilize um, these decision-making skills uh, to, you know, really give their opponent a hard time. And... I think opponents of this warband are going to have to really figure out target priority based on what their warband is trying to do. Um, you know, because if I'm playing a horde warband, maybe I want to take out, you know, uh, Bridget um, or Quiet Pog early. But if I'm playing an elite warband, maybe I don't care about some of those fighters and my target priority goes somewhere else. So I just like how there's a lot of choices. I've said this on the podcast ad nauseum. I love choices, and I love warbands that generate choices, whether it's for you or for your opponents. Um, And I think it's a lot of fun. And honestly, I'm really high on the fighters themselves, even though they all look weak individually. Um, You know, divided they fall, united they stand type of, you know, agenda here, which I really like. And look, you know, you might be disappointed that you can't make your dogs hunters, which, you know, if you think about it, like as an animal, dogs are great hunters. They're hunting hounds even. Right. And they're probably using that aesthetic here. But, you know, as you can probably tell, it was probably a little busted. You know, if you are if you made your dog a hunter and then it died and then you price a victory off your dogs that you want to throw away anyways, probably wouldn't work out. So, um, look, it may not make sense and all the right reasons, but at the end of the day, balance is balance. And I think this is a great balancing act for this warband. And again, even if one of your fighters does die, you know, as we've mentioned already a lot, you're still gaining something out of it, which is two fighters inspired, which is pretty solid. Yeah. So, um, Zach, who is your favorite fighter that we've covered so far? Uh, I like 
Pac quite a bit. I like that his interplay with the um, the companions. I like his range two off the bat. I think he's uh, I think he's going to be a really cool important piece. Yeah, right on. Um, for me, I want to say Bridget because I like to go big or go home. I'm a risky player, but I, I really like Amos. I like the reassuring presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and spoiler, he's got some really cool upgrades that I just think are awesome, and I really want to uh, to utilize them. So we're going to jump to objectives now. And so, Zach, take us away, my friend. Yeah, right. Uh, well, first we've got an eye for an eye. Uh, this is a surge, and it's dual. So score this immediately when a friendly fighter's attack action takes the target out of action, if one or more friendly fighters are out of action. So for one glory, I mean, I think this is a pretty solid card. Um, look, I think it's like it begins for uh, the Reavers, right? Like it's very hard for you to not score that card at some point in the game. And I think this card is a really good card because there are so many reasons as to why you can not only set this up, but while well, this is an inevitability, you're going to lose a dog. Okay, it's a friendly fighter. You're going to get a kill with this warband. You know, maybe unless you're playing really high wound warband. But even then, the applied continual pressure will lead to fighters going down. And this warband is designed around you losing your fighters. You want your hunters to die so you can get those extra mileage out of the remaining fighters as well as those inspire mechanics. So while I don't think this is like an A, I think this is a very good card. I think it's a B plus. I think you're going to see it a lot. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, a lot of in an aggro warband like this, I kill a surge. Good stuff. Mm. Uh, Next, we have burn them out. Uh, Surge, score this immediately after an enemy fighter on a starting hex in enemy territory is taken out of action. Uh, Also, one This card is... Yep, yep. This card is really interesting. We've seen universal versions of this before. Um, I think there is one in Diarchasm, actually, that does that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's like a primacy card, I think, Uh, or something. It was was part of the Rivals deck, and it had to be your first attack... um, in the in the round it was one of those weird ones uh so this is a better version for sure yeah okay i I could have sworn there was a card that maybe had like two different options on it but uh we we digress ultimately these cards are i'm like really 50 50 on when you're playing a larger warband with weaker fighters which is what this warband wants to get into i think it's going to be it's going to reward you really well i think the challenge with this warband is it's three move it's slow right? You're going to be trudging up the board. You can't really do much. Um, and so I don't think I like this card if only because like, especially in like the second or third round of the game, it might be hard to set it up. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, you know, you can run hypnotic buzz, um, you can run other pushes under retention, things like that, to try to set it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, people generally don't just stand on their starting hexes, eh? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, there's not really much to say about it beyond that. Yep, fair enough. Uh, next, we've got due process. Uh, this is a another surge. This is surge hybrid this time. 
Your warband makes a fourth or sus subsequent attack action in the same round, or score this immediately after the second or subsequent successful attack action made by your warband in the same round, one glory. Yeah, I really like this card. I was a big fan of Keep Chopping. This is Keep Chopping on a stick. Um, it's a surge version of it. I think there are going to be many times in the game where you're going to be making these attacks, um, especially with the price of victory allowing you to make multiple attacks with potentially the same fighter. Um, that being said, sometimes you don't need that. You know, even in the third round, if you have two, three fighters left, you know, you've got ranged attacks. You don't have to commit to a charge when you're attacking um, in either scenario. So you can make multiple attacks with the same fighter, and as long as two of them hit, you're good. So I'm going to, I really believe you're going to score this card more often than not from the second condition. Mm -hmm. But on those days where the dice just aren't in your favor, you got a great backup surge anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very reliable as a surge, and I think that's really what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, Plus he's blowing Escaven's head off in the card <laughs> art. Pretty cool. Yeah, all of the card art in this warband is actually pretty sick as well, so uh, definitely take a look once yeah. you get your set. Uh, next we've got Fear the Righteous. This is our first end phase. Uh, this is a duel. Score this in an end phase if three or more enemy fighters are out of action and there are two or more surviving friendly hunters uh, to glory. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a meta pick. I mean, like, and it's not a bad meta pick right now, right? Like the meta is pretty heavily uh, invested in hold two and the warbands that are aggressive um, I think are a little squishy as well. I mean, that being said, killing three or more fighters when you fight like against a Crushes or a Worm Spat, you know, you mentioned them earlier, or a Rippas, um, can be a tall order. And sometimes that feels like a third end phase card. And that's what this card is going to feel like in those matchups. Um, ultimately, on top of that, you're kind of incentivized for killing your own fighters. And um, I really don't think that there's going to be a lot standing at the end of these games. Um, unless a lot of dice go in your favor, like you're going to be trading blows, and that's the point, right? Like the vampires, I mean, not the vampires, the um, the witch hunters, they, they're humans. And they know that they're not the best, but they have the vil will and that conviction. And so if you take one of theirs out, it's eye for an eye, right? Like that's the whole mantra with the warband. And so I think when you only have four hunters and two of them are two wounds, I think it's very hard to keep them alive at the end of the game. Or at the end of the round, even. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and it's harder, you know, maybe you're scoring this in round one, but later in the game, yeah, probably not. If you score this in round one, you've probably won the game. Oh, that's true, too, the first part of that. So it's like, it's kind of a round two card, maybe? But yeah, I, I agree. Just keeping them alive, when you, especially when you kind of want them to die, is uh, hard. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to Interrogate the Wicked. Uh, another dual end phase. Score this in an end phase if there are two or more friendly hunters adjacent to the same enemy fighter and that enemy fighter has one or more wound counters for two glory. I like this card. I do think it's a trap. So look, there's there's ways in which, like, I think Reckless Swing is very popular. Mm -hmm. So there might be a lot of scenarios in which this naturally occurs. Um there are a lot of pushes in the games as well that this can help facilitate the scenario in which you can score this card. Um, I think the hardest part for this card is that your fighter, the enemy fighter, has to have a wound counter. 
And look, you can try to make some attack actions. You can try to take some ping cards. But I feel like at that point, you're investing too much. And sometimes those attack actions just don't go through. Right? We've all been there where you know you throw three attacks at a fighter because you know you can score a bunch of glory off it. And it just doesn't work out. And, and that's just the game and it happens. So while I think this card is very tempting to take, I probably won't take it because I just think it's a trap. Yeah, I mean, two glory sounds great. Everyone loves a two glory end phase, but I think you're right. I think it's a trap more often than not. Um, especially with range three, you don't always want to be adjacent, honestly. That's true, too. That's another great point. Uh, so let's move on to lives well spent. This is another end phase duel. Score this in an end phase if two or more friendly hunters are out of action. And you have scored three or more objectives uh, to glory. I think it's a great mm-hmm. card. So look, I I lived in the era of victory after victory, great gains, all that, right? Like, um, you know, th- those cards were awesome. And a lot of them were restricted in the future or, or no longer printed because um, cards that rewarded you for scoring other cards um, are really good. And this is a really good card because you're going to lose fighters. Because if your opponent doesn't kill you, you're going to kill them, right? So you're going to lose two hunters at some point in the game. And it, we've already gone over like three surges, and I would take two of them. So you have two really good surges. You put four other like Contest of Equals, Sudden Revelations, Reckless Swing. And you've got really, really good cards that you can score very early on. And it doesn't say that you have to score those three or more objectives in this phase. You just have to score them, period. So this card, you can probably score it in round one if you get some really good surges. But this is like a gimme in round two and three. Excellent card. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, everything you said, 100%. Um, So next one we got here is Loaded for Bear. Uh, score this in an end phase if two or more friendly hunters each have two or more upgrades. Uh, this is a one glory end phase. Yeah. This is probably the first objective that I'm not very excited about. I like the idea. I like the card art. It makes sense. Um, two or more friendly hunters each have two or more upgrades. It's fairly doable. Um, but for one glory, I think I think you can find some better or easier scorable one glory cards, especially because you're going to have sometimes games where like you just lose three hunters. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly reliable. I don't know. I, I feel like once you've lost two, your next two should be re- relatively safe and tooled up, but that's not always the case. So I don't know. I, there, there's probably better one glories out there for you. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Because none of these fighters are four wounds, this is a great warband for great fortitude. Mm-hmm. So you're probably right in that the survivability of the remaining fighters will go up. Um, but I think, again, the point that you just ended your sentence with was there are probably better ones out there is, is where I'm at as well. Yeah. Um, next we've got Proof of Guilt. Uh, this is a hybrid. Score this in an end phase if... Each surviving enemy fighter has no move or charge tokens, or each surviving enemy fighter is in the same player's territory, or one or more opponents have scored each scored six or more objectives. 
uh, to glory. So a hybrid that actually has uh, three potential outcome, uh, three potential scoring conditions instead of just two. What do you think about that? Yeah. So this card is another one where I'm like, is it a trap? Is it not? I really like the idea of it. I'm definitely going to mess around with it because look, it is a win more card, right? Um, there are going to be games where you get a bunch of surges and you can score five, six glory in the first round. Um, or at least five, six objectives. Sometimes on average though, you're going to do that in the second round. So you can score that and then score this in the second or third round. It's pretty nice for, you know, just following your game plan and just scoring the great cards you have in your deck for two glory. There are going to be some, uh, matchups that you have especially i think in this meta where like you're going to be the beatdown, and your opponent's just going to chill on their side of the board because they have three objectives or they pulled an early dark inversion and they don't need to go into your territory and they're just going to chill and so if they're just all going to sit in their territory and you bum rush into their territory um you could get the second condition i'm not i don't think it's going to be turn one it could be turn two could be turn three each surviving enemy fighter has no move or charge tokens is like never going to happen. Yeah. So I think if you're going to take this card, you're going to take it for the last condition, which is one or more opponents have scored six or more objectives. That being said, um, I don't like the fact that your opponent, you're relying on your opponent to score this card. Right. And if you roll the roll off, if you lose the roll off too, for example, and you have to score first, in a round then you kind of lose out on proof of guilt because your opponent might score six or more objectives but it was after you had the opportunity to score this card so actually the more that i'm talking about it out loud i actually don't think this is a good card um, and i think it is a trap mm, i slightly disagree i think i think six or more is pretty reliable from round two on just because I mean, you're not always drawing your hot. Your opponent's not always drawing their hot surges and just burning through their surges. But I think there's enough people who are like, you know, you, you're reliably getting through things. People are making their decks be reliable. So worst case scenario, they're scoring, you know, a surge in two end phases in round one. Like unless their deck is really bad or you brick them out super hard. Uh, so I think. And then, like, by the end of round two, I guess it depends on who scores first or not. Um, I don't know. I think there's some play here. Uh, I think, like, it, it is also kind of like an anti-bold deeds for as long as that's still in the pool. Because each surviving enemy fighter is in the same player's territory. If you're facing, you know, three or four model aggro, they're just going to come into your territory and you're going to score that portion of it. So... I, I I do slightly disagree. I think we'll have to see it played out and see how they kind of um, and see what the meta looks like with this in play. I, it is probably a meta dependent one uh, in in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think you're making me feel a little bit better about it. Um, I mean, it, it reminds me of Underdog in in a sense, where it's like your opponents ahead um, for whatever reason, primacy or not. And you're able to kind of score off that. Mm -hmm. um, I do like the anti-bold deed strategy. Like this is probably great against Rippas who are just going to bum rush you anyways. Um, so I see where you're going with yeah. it. I'm not entirely sold though, but you do make me feel better about it. So Yeah, yeah I agree. It's not like an S tier, but I think there is room for it in a deck. Uh, I'm not even saying... Well, so I, I guess 
my conversation would be like, I don't know if this is a B or not, but I think it's a C. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. Yeah. I was going to put a D, but you made me put it. I think, you know. Move it up anyways, a bit. Let's move yeah, on. for sure. Uh, then we've got Sowing Doubt. Uh, this is uh, end phase dual scores in end phase if one or more enemy fighters are out of action and one or more of those enemy fighters have one or more upgrades. So this is an interesting one. I think over the course of the game, you're going to kill a fighter that has had an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a reliable card for the most part. Um, do I think it's worth putting in your deck as an end phase card? That's one glory. No, I don't think so. Yeah. It, I I agree. I mean, with the amount of good two glory end phase cards out right now, it's hard to justify any one glories that aren't like gimme, you know? So, yeah, I agree. Uh, Tools of the Faithful is our next one. This is a dual end phase. Scores an end phase if there are three or more surviving friendly fighters. And each surviving friendly fighter has one or more upgrades. This is also two glory. Yeah, so this is an interesting card because I don't think you're going to get this round one. I think it might be hard to do in round three. So really you're looking at like a mid-game card where like you're kind of taking advantage of the price for victory. You know, it's probably starting to roll in. Um, it doesn't say friendly hunters, so you can keep the dogs. If your opponent's ignoring the dogs, mm-hmm. um, then this could be a boon there. You can give them some upgrades. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like it's doable. But I don't think it can be scored in round one. And I oftentimes like my end phase cards to be scored in all three rounds. Um and I don't know, I mean, and I think this is like a 50-50 in the third round, because if bodies start flying, then you might not have three or more surviving friendly fighters. Yeah, I think this would be, again, I, I hate to say, I hate to keep saying it, but I, I feel like this is also a meta-dependent one. Like, in a world where there's a lot of reliable, fast aggro, and people are able to just bop two wound fighters really easily, like... They are just going to go through your dogs and Bridget um, very easily, and then they've just got to kill one more, and this becomes a dead card. But, like, you know, if the game slows down, if we go back to maybe, you know, feature token holding, or we go back to, like, dominant position sort of, like, um, flex-style things, and people aren't just, like, bum-rushing in and rolling four, three or four attacks every round... Um, Maybe this gets a little bit more reliable. Maybe if we see things like Ferocious Bite get restricted, so there's less accuracy, and then Pox to block and Bridget's to uh, to dodge become a little bit more attractive. I don't know. I agree. I don't think it's amazing. Um, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna feel really nice in your rivals deck, but I think it's gonna be one of the early ones cut in your championship deck. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this makes it into most decks. Mm. Uh, then we have Uncover the Truth. Uh, score this in the end phase if there are two or more friendly fighters in enemy territory, one glory. It's interesting because, like, oftentimes I think you are the beatdown. So this is probably attainable. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, there might be games in which your opponent is the beatdown. 
and you can kind of bring them into your target zone or your kill zone um, and try to pick them apart. And so for that reason, um, I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. No, I, I agree for sure. I mean, yeah, it's you're going to run in with your squishy fighters like your dogs or Bridget or uh, even Amos, and and then they're just not going to survive. So, yeah. Um, last but not least, we have Weapons of Justice. This is a Surge Hybrid. Uh, score this immediately after a, free, a friendly fighter is given their second or subsequent upgrade in the same round, or after a second or subsequent move or charge token is removed from a friendly fighter during the action phase. So our final surge, what do you think? I mean, it's great. I think it works lockstep with the Warband's mechanics. Um, I think you're most likely going to score this off the first uh, condition, which is uh, second or subsequent upgrade, subsequent upgrade in the same mm-hmm. round. Um, you lose a hunter, get a free upgrade on. I'm sure you've got glory because you've got great surges. Um, stack that second upgrade on. Boom. Super easy. Um, the second option can probably pop up uh, at some point, but I think if your opponent is letting you charge with the same fighter for the third time in the round, they're doing something wrong. And so I think... Uh, the two upgrades is pretty easy. You don't even have to use Price of Victory to do it. You might just get two glory, slap on two upgrades, boom, you're good to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you can cut the you could cut the the second condition off this entirely, and it would still be worth running. So I think that that yeah. shows it's a good card. Um, yeah. So that brings us to the end of the objectives. Um, what do you think overall? What's your favorite one? And what do you think of the, the whole set? Yeah. So my favorite one, um, I is to probably do process. Um, so it's pretty much, you know, keep chopping on a stick, but then, you know, you just get two success, success, successful attack actions. You're good. Um, I love the card art. I love everything about it. And I think my thoughts on the overall set is that it is a great objective set. I think in Rivals, you're going to see the power of it quite often. But I think in Championship alone, you've got three excellent Surges um, and two great end phase cards. I mean, what more do you want from a faction? Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think the number of Surges they have available to them is just really good. I mean, we've seen what uh, having a lot of good Surges means in the past. It usually means the faction is doing pretty well. Um, I agree. I, I think, um, due process is a great one. Uh, I'm going to go with eye for an eye, which, you know, it's just, it's just a solid straightforward surge. It's just kill something and you have a fighter that's dead. Like that's going to happen 99.9% of games. And like, unless you draw it in your opening hand, your opponent doesn't attack you at all. I think you're always going to score this card. So yeah, I, I think the interesting thing here is that like, we kind of gave a meh to a lot of the um, end phases, but a lot of the surges were very strong. And um, I think there's usually m- more good end phases printed in the universal sets uh, from what we've seen. So you can always replace end phases with something that's in there. You can always even just replace it with like great gains or, you know, something like that from uh, essentials. Uh, but there's not always good uh, surges. So I think that's definitely going to give these guys an edge going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, four surges, three of them being absolute bangers is great. Mm-hmm. Right. So all you need is one good end phase or two and you're chilling. So, yeah, right on. Well, I think we're both pretty high on the objectives, at least the surge portion. But overall, I think pretty good. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to move on to the gambits and the ploys. And so we'll start with um, a phrase that my grandmother uses a lot, which I always thought was odd, but now it makes sense. Um, It's called by hook or by crook. Um, And this is a reaction. Play this after a friendly hunter with one or more upgrades is dealt damage. Reduce that damage by one to a minimum of one. Now, by hook or by crook means you're going to get the job done no matter what. So, by hook or by crook, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, Zach, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's great. Any reduced damage is awesome. Uh, Reduced damage as a reaction is amazing. It does have the stipulation that you have to have an upgrade. So, you know, it's harder to use earlier on, but not impossible. I mean, you do always have your reaction to get free upgrades. You know, you can get some solid glory from surges or whatever as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a reduced damage ploy. What more do you want? Like that alone should immediately put it in decks like a lot of the time. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, like, we all look, we all get annoyed when Ripa's, you know, and skin of their teeth with the Cunning Crew get played because they're really good. You don't, you can't anticipate it. You don't see it coming. Do they have it? Do they don't? And this being played at the right time can be really, really brutal for your opponent. So these are, these are great cards. And, and I like how they made it a little bit harder to use. It's not just a gimme off the top of the start of the game. But of course, when you lose a fighter, um, you get that price of victory reaction. That being said, um, your opponent can plan for it a little bit because if the attacking, if their target rather doesn't have an upgrade, then they don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. So there is like some play around for it, but like, yeah, I think later on you draw this in round two or three, and you have your important fighter already upgraded at least once. I think you're just chilling. I think this is a great. Yeah. yeah. If you have this in your hand and you have multiple hunters up, it might be worth just throwing an upgrade on a hunter mm-hmm. just so that you can protect them. Yeah. Um, so. For sure. I like it. Next one is by the order of the vault. Choose a friendly fighter. Give the chosen fighter an upgrade from your hand. Do not spend any glory points when you play that card. When you play this card, you can spend a glory point if you do draw one power card. Um, what do you think? This is really interesting because uh, season one, uh, if you were around season one, um, there was a card called Spoils of Battle, which was, mm-hmm. it was just a ploy that said give a fighter an upgrade, it doesn't cost a glory point. Um, okay. And then later on we had one that was like take a damage, get a glory point during Nightfall, I think, uh, which wasn't as good. Uh, and people played Spoils of Battle. It was not like ubiquitous, it wasn't everywhere, but like... People put it in their decks. Uh, it had some combos with ready for action and stuff like that. But um, the fact that this does this and then there is an upside uh, does make it interesting. Now, is getting an upgrade and drawing a card worth a ploy slot? It's kind of like... It's kind of like um, a mediocre version of a duel of wits at that point that you don't have to wait to react with. Um, I don't know. I feel like the, the ploy slot or the rather the gambit slot is like really competitive right now. 
mm-hmm. but for a warband like this which really revolves a lot around upgrades and you know you can use this alongside your reaction to get powered up early on before your before either you or your opponent has a chance to get too much glory um it's interesting i think it's worth experimenting but i would not be surprised if it didn't make the cut yeah it's a fair assessment i think if you're looking for card draw and you don't want to play duel of wits i think dark sacrifice is a great option for this mm-hmm. warband because you're going to be losing a lot of fighters um, and look, there is a lot of benefit for putting upgrades on your fighters. You can score objectives, you can use by hook or by crook. It's solid. But because you have a built-in free objective mechanic, and you can still put on objectives, quote-unquote, the honest way, by just playing your game plan, I don't think this is that necessary. I think it's very fun and thematic, and it's going to be great in Rivals. But Championship, as you mentioned earlier, I don't think this makes the cut, because there are just some staples out there that you need to be able to play in the meta right now. Yeah, yeah, and just the quality of Gambit cards is very, very high, uh, in cha- at least in the current championship uh, pool. So that's why, I mean, if, you know, maybe post-rotation when we see some of the stronger ones go away, this kind of might kind of creep in, you might see people try it out. But um, yeah, currently in the current metagame, probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. The- the next one is called Circle of Silvered Grave Salt. This is a domain card. Enemy fighters treat hexes adjacent to friendly hunters as lethal hexes, in addition to other hex types. This effect persists until the end of the round, until this gambit deals damage to an enemy fighter, until a friendly fighter makes a move action, or until another domain gambit is played. What do you think? Uh, I think it's really strong. I mean, if ultimately this is it is a little bit dependent on who you're facing i mean you know ghosts don't really care about lethal hexes for the most part and like range two or range three warbands don't really care about it because they're just going to shoot you from you know far away i mean you might be able to set up like you know i put the dogs two hexes away from each other and now if you move past them or around them or whatever you're going to take damage type of thing like uh Maybe that'll be interesting, but um, I think it is strong overall, despite those downsides. Uh, being able to set up lethal hexes, and not just lethal hexes, like, so what, that's six from six fighters, You if you play this in round one and none of your fighters are dead yet, you've created 36 lethal hexes on the board, and that's crazy. Um, now you can't move and it goes away as soon as it does damage one time. But like if you are in a position that you like, you play this card and you just start shooting and your opponent has to come to you to deal with it. Like, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Will there be times where you can't really use it cause you need to move around a lot? Sure. Will there be times where your opponent has too long of range and it doesn't really bother them? Absolutely. That's a thing. But like, I don't know. I think the power level on it is relatively high. What do you think? Yeah, so I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit. I think I think the fact that the moment it deals damage, it goes away, or when you make a move action, it goes away, kind of shoehorns you a little bit. And, like, if you're going to, like, yeah, sure, as you mentioned earlier, if you're in that great scenario, then, yeah, the card is great. But how often are you going to be in that scenario? I don't know. I mean, 
you know, how often are you going to have X number of fighters alive? I mean, like, look, if you jump on a objective um, and you play this card and your opponent has to come to you for that objective, okay, sure. But they just take a damage. It's not like you're killing that fighter, right? Like, I guess for me, it, it's a ping card that's not like the best ping card. Um, and I don't know. I'm just not, not a fan. And, and, and like, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned something about ghosts earlier. I believe they've all been errated to flying now. So they do take damage from lethal hexes. Well, they, they take it when they end in it, they could still move through. And so, yeah, sure. Yeah. But like you could distract them into it and stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if this is that the card for me, especially because a, it's a very competitive power slot, mm. but be like, I don't think this is really doing anything for me except maybe giving me a ping card. But it's like my opponent chooses which fighter takes the ping damage. Um, and in some situations, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. I think that's agree to disagree on that one. I, I see your points. And yeah, like a good ping damage card, like the good ones in the game, like um, Suffocating Mist and Lethal Ward and some of the other faction ones. You do just get to pick and choose and point at a fighter and just say they take one. Uh, and this doesn't really do that unless you also have, like, hypnotic buzz in your hand or something. Um, I don't know. I think even if you're just getting this off for one of your opponent's turns, like, you move and you get your guys in a good position where they're covering a lot of the board and a lot of hexes your opponent wants to be in. And then you play this and then they have, like, one really difficult turn. I think it's interesting, but... Yeah, you you know what? At the end of the day, maybe you are right. Maybe we are. Maybe it's just not quite competitive enough to make your top 10 cut. So I think we'll see as that one goes along. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, definitely agree to disagree, but we'll we'll see. I mean, that's the, uh, that's the old adage, right? We'll see <laughs> we'll what see happens. happens. So next one is called For the Order. It's a reaction. Play this in your power step after a friendly hunter has given an upgrade. Remove all move and charge tokens from that hunter. It's it's not ready for action, but it's pretty close. But it but is it not though? I mean, it, so for anyone who is not playing during uh, the first two seasons of the game, ready for action was a card that said reaction when this reaction play this when a friendly fighter is given an upgrade, they make an attack act or I think it was make a move action or make an attack action. I don't think it was like I don't think they could charge or anything like that. Um, but this is not that because you're not doing it like out of sequence. You're not being able to like charge and then do this and then immediately do something before your opponent could do anything. Uh, but it's pretty similar because you are getting surprise back to back attacks that your opponent might not see coming. I mean, you talked about this before where a lot of times you charge and then your opponent ignores the charge dude because like, Oh, they're not going to do anything. And then, you know, they make their activation. Maybe they even end close to or adjacent to that fighter. And then you're just like, ha, surprise. I've got, you know, for the order in my hand. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's interesting that, um, uh, they stopped making illusions after hero deep. That seemed to just be a hero deep thing, but man, this is a really powerful card with an illusion in your hand. Like, you have, uh, you know, Phantom Fists, or you have Shadow Keeper or something in your hand, and this in your hand, and you're just like, boom, boom, no glory. I just charge first activation, 
and then after your first activation i illusion for the order and then i now have like phantom fist or phantom spear upgraded or something and just like psych you thought you were safe and just you know um i think it's i mean it's really really strong it's not as strong as it could be because it could just be ready for action but it's like man it's like the next best thing and i think that's awesome yeah, I mean, re- ready for action. To echo everything you said, first and foremost, this card's a 10 out of 10. Excellent card. If you don't take it, I would you, why, question why are you your deck building. Band? Yeah, why, yeah. You know, like, this is a, a fantastic card. And, um, look, they realized how good ready for action was. They're not going to reprint it. But, if you are going to reprint it, this is a great way to do it. And I think this is a great warband to do it in because... It fits the theme, you know. Mm-hmm. They're gonna do it. They're gonna they're gonna keep they're gonna keep chopping at you, keep attacking you, until they're dead or you're dead. And that's the aesthetic of it. They're just gritty humans with the desire of vengeance and blood and conviction, might and anger. I don't know. They just they're they're honestly sound like they're really mean people. But I'm I'm, I'm about it. Yeah, it's it's like I mean they're kind of the Spanish Inquisition, right? It's like. It, you know, they, there's the memes about it being all badass, but it's like, yeah, they're kind of terrible at the same time, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one, which is interesting, actually, this also has Bridget on the card art from the first, what, five cards we've seen? Bridget's on four of yeah, them? Yeah, she's, she's on a lot of these ploy cards, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the artist must have really liked Bridget. Um, lead the Crusade reaction. Play this after the out-of-action check of a friendly hunter's attack action. If the target was taken out of action, choose one friendly fighter. Inspire that hunter and draw one power card. Um, this is also great. I, mm-hmm. It's like great with an asterisk. Because it's... Uh, I think if you draw this in round one, uh, especially if you draw this in round one and you're facing a warband that you can pretty reliably kill, like, you know, a swarm warband with two wounds or like a three wound warband that you can one, two punch or ping or something like that. Um, this feels insane. Uh, especially when you consider that, um, Bridget inspires when your leader inspires. So like, even if your leader doesn't get the kill, so he doesn't use his regular inspire condition, you react with this, you inspire your leader. He's inspired. Now Bridget's inspired or, you know, you, um, uh, you kill something with your leader. He inspires. Bridget inspires. You play this card. You inspire a third fighter, right? Like, there's so many ways that this just gets you like extra value out of the card, and you're getting a draw card on top of it. So it's like do stuff that's good and also cycle. Uh, so it feels really, really powerful. Um, the caveat, like the little asterisk I was talking about, the caveat on this is like if you draw this late in the game, your stuff's already inspired. It doesn't matter. Um, but we, you know, we, or, or dead. dead. Yeah, exactly. Or inspired and dead. Um, yeah, but that's kind of the same thing that we saw in previous, uh, previously comparing to another season one card, um, inspiration strikes or fierce inspiration, whichever the one was that, uh, you just inspire fighter. There, there was a ploy card mm-hmm. where you just pick fighter, inspire them. Um, Inspiration strikes. It was strikes, yeah. Uh, 
And it had the same issue where it was like, you know, you put in a Molog deck and, you know, if you draw it in round two or three, Molog's probably already inspired. Or you put it in, you know, a, a, a Curse Breaker. You would never put in Curse Breaker. But, you you know, you put it in one of these other decks where you want to inspire fighters and it's like, ah, but if I draw it late, they're already inspired, so it's not good. But, like, the time. But it's great when I get it round one yeah. because I maybe win the game. Yeah, so it's like, it's very, it's very much in the same vein here. Um I think it's good. I think you leave it in the deck most of the time. I mean, especially maybe if it didn't have that draw in it, maybe if it didn't cycle itself, it would be worse. But like at the very worst, it's reaction, draw a card and cycle and get through your deck faster. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, so I like the, I like the, you said about it. I think I completely agree. I think the asterisk for me, in addition to what you've said is, Dude, this is meta-dependent, right? Like, you play against a four-wound warband. You're probably not trading one-for-one. One. It's true. Um, and that's where the, the caveat comes in, right? Because you have to kill someone with one of your hunters. And then you get to play this card. And yeah, sure, you get to choose a card. And you can potentially inspire one or two fighters, depending on who's alive. But on the off chance that, you know, like, if you go... If you take this warband to a Grand Clash or... A, you know, Vassal Brawl or um, in-person Stir Tournament. Are there going to be situations where this card is great? Yeah. Are there going to be situations where this card is not good? Just based on, like, the Warband you're playing? Yeah, I think so. And so for that reasons, I'm not as high on it. I still think it's a great card. But I don't know if it makes my 10 slash 11. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's probably going to get cut, but... You, how do I say, like, you, you kind of know how it is where there are some cards that, like, there are some power cards that are just never going to see the light of day, and this is not one of them. Um, so, yes. This is a, this is, this will make you yeah. think, which I like. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with your, your point on that as well. Right on. Well, let's move on to the next one then. This one is called Making a Point, which I love because he's throwing a stake. Um, choose a friendly Amos, Bridget, or Haskell. The Chosen Fighter makes the following attack action. Three range, two fury, one damage. But it has a special rule called Finisher. Plus one dice and cleave to this attack action. If the target is adjacent and vulnerable. Um, I don't like it. It's we we saw a similar version of this in um, Shadeborn. Uh, it was not usable by everybody. Um, it's just Drusilla and uh, and Velissa, the other one. Velissa, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just usable by the two of them. But Drusilla is like your second best fighter, so it's okay. Um, the fact that this is two, unless you're adjacent and the target's vulnerable, it's like. This is basically saying this is a chance to ping for lethal damage if you're adjacent and the opponent is, you know, you, you were just off by one. Um, that's okay. I guess there's like, I guess it doesn't have to be the target that attacked. You can like charge with Amos, punch them, push them backwards, and then do it from a Bridget or your leader or something. But I don't know. I, I think it's... Um, its use is too narrow and it's not a guaranteed finisher so for that reason i don't really like it 
Yeah. I mean, I see that point of view. Um, I'll challenge it a little bit. And I just want to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on this. To me, this is kind of like a better version of combo. Because what you can do is you can charge with one of your fighters. Let's say you decide to use Bridget's attack. That goes for three damage. And you three damage a four wound fighter. And then on top of that, you get to finish or try to attempt with a three fury, one damage attack to finish that fighter off. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. It can catch your opponent by surprise, maybe. It can work. Um, this might be the extra oomph. This is effectively, potentially, a variable great strength, right? Like, this could be the extra oomph you need mm-hmm. to finish off a fighter. Now, I'm not saying it's good, or great, rather, but I like the application that it can provide. Yeah, I think rather than great strength, I would compare it to, like, a twist the knife or a... um a trap yeah, that's where it's like it's a power card you play when you're just right to that point of killing um but except those cards didn't need a dice roll associated with it now you can note that unlike trap and twist the knife this is an attack and objectives or other things that proc off of attacks will also proc off this um so if for instance you have a surge in your hand that says score this one you kill an opponent with an attack action you know you wouldn't score that with a suffocating mists or a um you know a trap or twist the knife if they were still in or whatever right but you would score with this so like there's that slightly added extra benefit um i see what you're saying a ping damage especially killer finality ping damage is always it's always something to consider i just don't think this is a very good uh implementation of it I agree, but I think there there will be some scenarios where, you know, you maybe kill an enemy fighter, you score due process, and then maybe you react with lead the crusade and inspire some other fighters, right? Like, it can there can be a lot of cool stuff there. Sure. Um, you know, and then, you know, you can have Glory Seeker. This could be more damage. Oh, true. You yeah. know, you could have Fighters Ferocity. Like, there's a lot of ways in which you can make this a very potent attack, but, um, you know... You don't always stick them with the pointy end, so... Yeah, no. It happens. Get that. Prayers of the Faithful. This card cannot be played in an opponent's third or fourth power step. Until the end of the next power step, enemy fighters cannot cast spells, and opponents cannot play ploy cards. It's kind of like a worse no time. I mean, okay, so... It's a balanced no it's time. A ba- That's yeah, it's a is. balanced no time, because <laughs> no time is actually insanely strong uh, sometimes. Um, there is the upside the added upside that it says opponents cannot cast spells uh, and play ploy cards until the next power step the cast spell things also means that like if your opponent is dentalos he can't use his spell attack action until the next power step mm-hmm. so like there's some added benefit if you're facing a wizard warband but like just run no time man like i guess if you want to double up it's fine but i don't know i mean i think it's more of a rivals card Mm -hmm. right but um i think this is a balanced no time and you can tell that the designers have learned from some of the stronger cards and and made more balanced versions of them which i love to see oh yeah for sure and yeah you're right i think um rivals and rivals plus you will see this card a lot yeah Next one is Sanctified Sharpening Stone, plus one dice to the first range one attack action made by a friendly hunter in the next activation. Restricted to a hunter. 
Uh, no. I mean, determined effort exists, and you don't need to run two copies of it. So, for that reason, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, I think this is a good rival scar. Sure. Um, but yeah, determined effort is more ubiquitous, because it doesn't, it's not restricted to a hunter. Um, I would have loved to have said plus one damage. Mm, sure. But uh, plus one dice, I think, is... It's a very mediocre card. Mediocre doesn't mean bad. It just means average. Just means average. Yeah, I, you're right. In Rivals, you're going to play this and feel fine. Even in, like in Championship, you would, you know, if it's in your hand, you wouldn't mind it. You just probably don't put it in the deck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like turning Amos's, you know, uninspired side to three smash or inspired side to four smash can be pretty tempting. But then I think upgrades are better suited for that. I like upgrades for dice. Because you get to reuse that ability often. Where this is just like a one and done, might miss. So, yeah. um, Okay, two more ploys here. Uh, next one is called Ward of Martyr's Blood. In the next activation, the characteristics of enemy fighters' attack actions cannot be modified. And Cleave and Ensnare cannot affect friendly fighters' defense rules. Um... It's okay. I'm, I'm trying to compare this to other defensive cards, because, like, you know, next activation, blank happens to your opponent. Like, the good ones we've seen are, you know, Dwarven Resilience or um, whatever the one is for Morgwaith's Blade Coven, where it's just only one damage in the next activation or minus one damage in the next activation or something like that. And this isn't that good. I guess if it feels it'll probably feel really strong if your opponent is relying on a lot of um, uh, bonuses, like oh, I've got ferocious bite, or I, I, you know, I've got three plus one damage cards on, or something like that, and suddenly you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, your great strength does nah. nothing. That's really really powerful. Uh, yeah. But if your opponent just has like three damage naturally, they're gonna be like, okay, and they're just gonna kill your guys in one shot anyway. So. Um, I don't know. Like, it feels like it. I kind of like it. Feels it feels like it should be good, but I'm like, it It also feels like it might not. So, I don't know. What, what were you going to say? I just said, I kind of like it. I mean, like, your opponent plays Punching Up, you play Water Martyr's Blood, you just wasted a restricted card. That's very true. I didn't think about using it as kind of like a counter. Because um, uh, people will throw a lot, and you can even try to bait out multiple um, mm-hmm. gambits. Like, you know, yeah. punching up, and then you're like, okay, I delve, and they're like, determine effort, and you're like, okay, now I play Ward of Martyr's Blood, and you've just killed two cards, too. It's like, oh. Yeah, this is a big FU card. Um, it's not always going to work out that way, but I really like it. I mean, to your point, it doesn't even have to be punching up, right? Like, I play Great Strength. Okay, I play Great Fortitude. Okay, then I'll put Glory Seeker. Okay, then I'll play Ward of Martyr's Blood. Yeah. You know, I just baited you to spend two Glory... If your next activation, you can't kill my fighter. Yeah. You could kill another fighter, potentially, or or something, but I've effectively wasted what you thought was your next turn, which means now you have to reassess what your game plan is. And that might be really easy for some people, um, and especially, or, or not even people, but situations, but more often than not, I think it's going to fluster your opponent, and that helps you, um, you know, when you go for those longer stretches and, and best two out of threes, or, you know, you're in game three in a four-fame tournament. Um I'm not saying you're going to put it in your deck. I don't know if it's going to fit, if I'm going to be completely candid. 
but I think it's uh, a card that is a great tech piece. Because, look, I think this warband is really good at fighting horde warbands and hold objective mm-hmm. warbands. And hold objective warbands, like gets skeletons, etc. Love playing damage ploys and upgrades. Yes, absolutely. And dice ploys as well. I mean, just look yeah. at... Uh, I mean, Ferocious Bite, which probably would not be surprised if it hit a restricted list eventually. But, I mean, until in the meantime, you're going to see it on so many warbands. Um, but, no, I, you know, I think you honestly convinced me. I think this does make the cut in a lot of cases. Like you said, in a, um, in a round three, your opponent's like, I've seen this twice. Do I even want to play my good Gambit cards? I mean, you're, you're going to be in their head with this card. And that, sometimes that even is worth it by itself. Agreed. So, cool. Um, I liked the conversation on that one. Last gambit ploy. You stand accused with an exclamation point. Choose one enemy fighter. Plus one dice so that attack actions made by friendly fighters that target the chosen fighter. This effect persists until the chosen fighter is out of action or ends an activation in your territory. If it didn't have the second... Uh, turn off condition uh, I think this would be an insanely powerful card uh, right now a lot of people want to come to you so eh, it's probably not great um, but I mean at the end of the day it is it's a determined effort kind of it's a determined effort that gives away your game plan for the next turn uh, and at best if they don't get out of their territory or can't get out of their territory or they've like moved and they're still in their own territory and now you're just like going after them you know it's a it's a determined effort that applies multiple times and that seems pretty good i mean just a straight plus one dice on a card like not a lot of people run a determined effort just by itself this is like determined effort with a plus side sometimes um and i think that might make it good enough to make the cut what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I just don't know if I like it. I mean, I like the the scenario in which your opponent has moved said fighter. Mm-hmm. That fighter is not in your territory. You play this card and you can kind of beat up on that fighter. But I think this warband can, like, for lack of a better term, you know, like gang up on single fighters mm-hmm. pretty decently already. Um, so... I'm at the point where I'm like, is this going to go in my deck and am I going to potentially not play a confusion or a center of attention or swarming darkness for you stand accused? And I think the answer is no. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. And I don't disagree at all. I mean, it's kind of on the cusp for me, whether it would make the cut or not. Um, I guess... I would. I want to play the warband and see how much I'm like. Man, I really wish I had more dice because they are. Their attacks aren't bad. I mean, it's a lot of two hammers and a lot of three swords, which is good. You don't really need to buff that. Um, but sometimes you're like, man, I just really wish my stuff was a little bit more reliable. So I think if I was searching for reliability, this might come up. But like you said, yeah, they're again, again, we're kind of flush with really good power cards. So. Uh, yeah, you just kind of have to make that assertion yourself. Yeah. Okay, well, um, that concludes the Gambit 
section of the power mm. cards. And um, Zach, overall impressions before we get into favorites. Overall, I think it's good. Like, I feel like a lot of cards in here are like, they're good in the right situation, which I think is good game design. Um, this feels like a really well-designed power deck and one that has had a lot of thought put into it. You know, it's not just like, it's not just like, what's a really strong card that we can design? Let's throw it in here. It's a lot of cards that are like, in the right situation, you pull this off, it's going to feel great. In other situations, or like if you misuse it, it's going to feel bad. Um, and I like that. I think they've done a really good job catch, capturing the essence of the warband and like the theme of what it's supposed to be playing towards and like, you know, kind of making them play distinct from other warbands. And that really comes through in the power cards. So, yeah, I think um, I think I really like it. I think I like the the feel of it overall. I agree. I think this is clearly a warband that has seen many iterations, um, has probably been playtested quite thoroughly. Um, the design is fantastic. Um, hats off to John Bracken, who was the lead designer on this season. And I think he's done a really good job of, of making this power deck feel thematic, feel fresh, um, and make you feel like you can consider the cards even though you ultimately may not pick them. Um, and look, it's, they've got really good objectives, but they've got two excellent gambits. And like, again, when you're playing a championship warband and when oftentimes the meta is warped around these universal strong cards, two cards in the gambit pool that are like no brainers is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know? So I have a feeling they're both going to be our favorites, but Zach, I'll give you the honors of going well, first. So. Which one's I'm going to go ahead and take by hook or by crook. I think it's clearly just, it's an auto-include. You're always going to have it, and your opponent is always going to hate seeing it. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, right on. That was going to be mine, because I thought you were going to go for this one. But I'm very happy that I get to choose for the order. Um, awesome card. It's ready for action adjacent. One of the greatest cards ever, in my opinion. Um, can't wait to use it forever with this warband. So, uh, very, very excited. And yeah, I think just those two cards alone make the power deck worth it. The gambit deck, at least. And everything else is add to taste, which is great because they're all good decisions. But then more importantly, a very cohesive gambit deck. Yes, absolutely. For rivals. Alrighty. We're in the home stretch, Zach. Yeah. Take us away. So we've got uh, our upgrades. Our first one is Bane of Evil. Uh, this is restricted to your leader. Uh, Bane of Evil. This fighter has the following cumulative uh, uh, benefits, depending on how many friendly hunters are out of action. So if one hunter is out of action, you get plus one wound. And then if two or more are out of action, you get plus one dice to this fighter's attack actions. And if three or more are out of action, you get plus one damage to this fighter's attack actions. Uh, note that it doesn't have range associated with those, so his gun does just get a flat plus one. Yes. Um, I equate this to Army of One. Because um, this is effectively what's happening here, is you're just going to stack a bunch of upgrades because your leader is alive. Um 
and I think you do want to play a little cautious with your leader because of how an Inspire um, to Bridget is intrinsically linked with Haskell. So I can see a scenario in which, you know, maybe Quiet Pock or Amos or hell, even Bridget die, and then you price a victory, Bane of Evil, and your leader is now in four wounds. That's cool. And I think you can cumulatively stack and benefit as your fighters go down. But I think draw order is really important. Like, there are going to be games where you draw this and your leader is dead. And that's no fun. Um, and so, look, I, I like it. I don't know if it's a good championship card. But I think there's going to be random, like, you know, maybe like 10% of your games. If you're running this card, your leader is going to go nuts. But when you have three friendly hunters that are dead, that means you just have two doggies left. And so you can't even price a victory off that anyways. So, I mean, like, where's the, where's, like, there? I feel like there's a point where the card just becomes not even worth the effects you're accumulating. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's true. Because, like, you know, him being a range three, four dice, three damage gun... Like, it sounds really cool, but if he's your last fighter on the board, that's probably, you're right, that's probably not enough. Um, I think I like that it's, at minimum, it's just a great fortitude, uh, as long as one fighter is dead. Um, I guess it really depends on how you're playing the deck. Like, obviously, obviously, like, the design around this entire warband wants to be aggro and in your face, but I guess you could just play really far forward with your three other hunters leave your leader in the back and then just be like okay he's my late game Voltron I'm going to keep him safe so I can stack stuff on him as other stuff dies and if you're playing that way this becomes a really cool card but that might just not be a viable way to play in the warband so um, yeah uh, no I agree I think, I think it's not amazing and it probably is not going to be a top 10 championship card, but um, I think we'll see how it shakes out in like Rivals and Rivals Plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so next we've got Charmed Horseshoe. Uh, this is restricted to your hunter, so any of your humans. Uh, plus one dice to this fighter's attack actions. This fighter's attack actions have Ensnare. Amazing card. This is a Easily a card that gets restricted in a universal mm. setting. Um, plus one dice is fantastic. There's no range limitation. Ensnare is an added bonus. I dig it. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, not much more to say than that. Plus dice cards, always good. Uh, next we've got Cold Iron Nails. Each time... Uh, this is also restricted to Hunter. So uh, you're humans again. Each time this fighter's range one attack action takes a target out of action, pick one, gain one glory point, or that target cannot be raised. Uh, place the affected target fighter's card to one side to remind both players. This is actually really interesting because at the, at the very least, right, with your range one attack actions, this is a trophy mm -hmm. hunter, right? Um, getting an extra glory point is great. I like it. Um, with Price of Victory, there's a potential for this to happen multiple times. It just so happens that if you're playing 
a dead war, a death war band, this is where that thematicism comes in. You can just be like, ha, yeah, you don't get to bring back your champion. You don't get to bring back your or harvester. Regulus or, uh, or Regulus or, or Grisselwell or whatever. Exactly. And so I really like this um, because if you're meta, whether it's online or local or internationally or globally, likes death war bands and they like to play with Grand Alliance death cards that can bring fighters back, this can be a really uh, fun way to stop that from happening. And I kind of like it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the fact that it is, um, at the end of the day, a Tome of Offerings, uh, even if you don't get that thematic use out of it, like, that's still pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I like it. I mean, uh, you know, you, you have, like I would say half the upgrades you're going to play in the course of a game are going to be free. Mm-hmm. So you get a free upgrade, you toss it on your fighter, and then you get a glory. So you effectively are always netting one. Worst case scenario, as long as you get a kill. Um, the, the caveat is range one, mm-hmm. but you stick this on Amos... Or, you know, Haskell's inspired. I mean, even Bridget. Honestly, like, a lot of people can do cool stuff with it. Sure. So, yeah, it's I mean, great. No, none of their attacks are, I mean, at least inspired, none of their attacks are, range one attacks are terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can give a fighter a silent sword and then cold iron nails. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, like, it's, it's not limited to the uh, fighter's attack profile. Yeah. No, good card in general. Uh, next we've got Deep Scars. This is Quiet Pock res- uh, Restricted Only. This is plus one wound, minus one damage from attack actions that target this fighter to a minimum of one. This fighter cannot be dealt damage by gambits. Look, so thematically I like the card. Um, Jonathan and I in the past have had many discussions surrounding cards like these. And ultimately they're never going to beat Great Fortitude. Right. Like, if Great Fortitude was restricted, there are still some other options out there that are universally giving you plus one mm-hmm. wound. And so while I love the fact that you can bump Pock up to three wounds, and he could potentially tank two attacks rather than one, um, I'm not sure if this is going to make the cut for me. If this card maybe said this fighter cannot be chosen by Gambits, I think that would have been more interesting because then it could have made him to where... You know, he's resolute in his positioning, and he can't be moved off a token. But uh, for a two-wound fighter, despite the fact that he starts with two block, I'm not sold on this. Yeah, I mean, it does effectively make him four wounds. It's kind of a plus two wounds. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree. It's hard to, to justify it. Uh, so next we'll move on to Lucky Hexbeak Foot, which has some creepy uh, card art here. Um, this is a card, it just says plus one defense. This fighter cannot be dealt damage by lethal hexes or gambits. Yeah, just to describe the card art for a bit, you know, like people have like lucky charms and stuff like that. So this looks like it was like a, so I guess a Hexbeak is a bird. And, you know, you know how birds have like three talons on their feet. This has like six or seven talons. But the best part about this card is the fact that the flavor text says, not so lucky for the hex beak. It, 
even though it's a lucky hex boat hex beak foot some top tier uh uh card text in this uh, in this set i think yes it's 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 amazing um look plus one defense is great fighter cannot be dealt damage by lethal hex or gambits makes the card even better um look you've got squishy fighters mm-hmm. with defense stats that aren't very exciting but if you can turn your three wound one block fighter to a three wound two blocking fighter or your two wound one dodge to two dodge or your two wound two block to three block early in the game whether you score off one of your great surges or through price of victory i think it can really extend the longevity of that fighter and so for that reasons i like this Mm -hmm. card i agree i think there's nothing but upsides here and the fact that it's available for anyone means you're not like having a downside just having in your deck so yeah it's good stuff Mm -hmm. uh next we'll go on to martyr's fervor uh plus one damage to this fighter's range one and range two attack actions that target a fighter with wounds characteristic of four or greater we did see this in an article but uh amon what are your thoughts on it i like martyr's fervor look i think it's great for uh, rivals and rivals plus um i think in a meta in which you potentially want a lot of damage. This can be really nice for you. Um, I think Glory Seeker is going to be my first choice because there's no range limit. Yeah, absolutely on it. Um, but if I have Glory Seeker, if I have Great Strength, if I have Savage Strength, and I have Feral Symbiote, and I'm like, what's one more damage card? You know, I might throw in Martyr's Favor. Why not? But I don't think I'll I'll ever get to that point where I'm going to need a fifth Great Strength, if you will. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, you know, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about different card sets and what is Rivals and Rivals Plus look like. I think this is an amazing card for Rivals and Rivals Plus because it, um, cause plus damage is just so rare there. But yeah, it, it doesn't make the cut just with all the ones we currently have. Uh, so let's move on to Protective Brand instead. You can reroll one dice in this fighter's defense rolls. The target of this fighter's attack actions cannot have supporting fighters, and attackers that target this fighter cannot have supporting fighters. And this card cannot be broken. So there's a lot going on here. What do you think? Yeah, and it makes sense, right? Protective Brand... I really like the the flavor behind this and and the fact that it can't be broken because it's branded into your skin, right? It's not a piece of equipment, which is really cool. Um, Rerolling a defense in this fighter's defense rolls is good. The fact that you can deny, uh, you know, your opponent benefiting from supports, whether attacking offensively or defensively, I think it's pretty sweet as well. Ultimately, I think if an opponent is accurate enough, you're going to get hit regardless because you're not really standing on much of a defensive characteristic here. Again, that being said, um, I do like the thematicism associated with the card, but I think a straight up plus one wound is probably better Mm -hmm. um, because you're just going to reroll one block or one dodge. I mean, it's not very exciting. Yeah, I mean, Champion's Fortitude is is just a reroll and none of the other benefits and it does see play but it generally sees play in warbands that are already rolling multiple defense dice um mm-hmm. i mean if you are playing you know voltron you want to stack up your leader or stack up pock or something um 
This does stack pretty well, Lucky Hexbleak Foot, because then you're plus one dice and re-rolling and ignoring supporting and not taking damage from cards. So, like, um, but I agree, like, generally defensively wounds are better than defense dice or uh, re-rolls. So you'd have to see what the rest of your upgrade deck looks like. Yeah. Uh, so then we get to retractable pistol, which has some fun card art as well. It's like a, a little spring loaded pistol up Bridget's, uh, Bridget's sleeve. Uh, this is an attack action upgrade. So the attack action is range four, three swords, one damage with the surprise, uh, keyword. Uh, this attack action's characteristic cannot be modified. Also nice. Surprise reaction. Use this after an enemy fighter's move action. This fighter makes this attack action. It must target the enemy fighter and cannot drive the target back. Restricted to Haskell, Hexbane, your leader, or Bridget. I think this is a really fun card. I think this is one of those cards where I'm very happy that it exists. I like the idea of it. I like that it's in the warband. I think there'll be some fun uses out of it. I mean, in fact, it can you know it can help um, you score uh, due process, mm -hmm. you know. So I like the idea of it and the redundancy there. Ultimately, I don't think a out of action attack action, despite the fact being four range and three fury for one damage, is ultimately that useful. Um, look, this is a warband where you get free upgrades. You might as well take the best upgrades you can. Because you're going to be getting free upgrades all mm -hmm. the time. Um, I don't know. I feel like weird reactions also have other uses. Like, this is a reaction to a move action. So, it can stop Cun and Crew from re or uh, Zarbag's Gits from reacting with their uh, multi-move reactions if they move into range of it. Uh, generally, by the time you have this up, they're not going to be doing those reactions a whole lot. But like, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of like a thing there. Um, I don't know. I, I yeah, you're probably right. I just feel like there's probably some play to this. So maybe somebody will use it in an event and uh, prove us wrong. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Uh, I got a couple left here. So this is woodcutter's strength. Uh, plus one damage to this fighter's range one attack actions for each success or critical success in the attack roll uh, restricted to Amos. So I love this card. And look, I have historically said that I am not a fan of single fighter upgrade cards or restricted upgrade mm -hmm. cards. But Amos is a two smash, two damage fighter. Okay. But when he inspires, he gets a three smash with cleave. So for two damage, that's fine. If you roll a single success, that's three damage. You can go up to five damage or four damage with this fighter. Um, I think you can give him cards like Lucky Hexbeak and give him more dice. And Amos can do a crap ton of damage. And in some crazy scenarios, one shot an enemy fighter that is way above his weight class. I mean, the card art is him literally beginning to chop, um, what's his name, black powder in half, mm -hmm. right? Like, this is a card that's going to see a lot of play, obviously, in Rivals and Rivals Plus. Uh, 
But I am tempted to throw this into a championship deck because I think Amos um, can be like a really good finisher for you. Yeah, I don't disagree necessarily. Um, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat where single fighter upgrades, especially when it's not like generally your uh, Voltron target, which is usually your leader, um, feels a little iffy to me, but just the raw power of this, like, I mean, he's baseline two dice. You could give him plus dice. Um, he goes to baseline three when he inspires. I mean, there's a chance that this upgrade by itself on Amos could make him a five damage fighter if he pops off and just rolls all hammers and crits. Like, that's not bad, man. Like, even if it's a dead card because they rush him down and he dies, like, I don't know. I still think it's going to be worth it a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and the way that you have to think about this card, right, is if you're getting to the deal damage step, it means you've rolled at least one yeah. success. So, so this is always going to be just a great right. strength. It, but it can just go so yes. much higher. Um, and you can, of course, you know, stack this with other things. Uh, you mentioned uh, Silent Sword before. Um you know, mm-hmm. now you can just give him a three dice weapon right off the bat. I think there is a four sword weapon out there, like blanking on it. Maybe I'm imagining it in a fever dream. Um, but there are plenty of dice. There are plenty of attacks that roll three hammers. Um, and there are plenty of plus dice upgrades, despite some of them being restricted. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just solid when you just need the damage to go through this. There it is right there. Yep, completely agree. So, is it going to make my 10? I don't know, but it'll certainly be number 11. I don't know. It depends on what gets restricted and what uh, what rotates, right? That's true. But in, in the current meta, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like, like it, it, too. I think it's cool. Um, lastly, we have Lantern of Vengeance. This is... Uh, we, we've seen these types of bound spells before, but I'll read the text out so we know what's going on. Uh, spell action uh, focus, so swirly. If cast, deal one damage to each enemy fighter within two hexes of this fighter. This fighter is a wizard X while attempting to cast the spell, where X is the number of friendly hunters that are out of action to a maximum of three and cannot attempt to cast any other spells. After this fighter makes this action, break this card. Restricted to Hunter. So, you mentioned Bounce Spell. Um, this one's slightly different in the fact that your wizard level goes higher, um, supposedly because the Lantern is a vengeance and you're avenging your fallen hunters. Mm-hmm. So, um, at maximum, you can be a level 3 wizard, um, and you can kind of do like a giant ping, deal 1 damage to each enemy fighter. I don't like this too much because it's a it's a spell action. Like I think if it was like a spell that you could cast and then it breaks after you cast it one time in the power step, that would have been really cool. Um, I like the idea of it. I like the concept of it, but I think in practice, I think it falls a little flat because there is a lot of limitations on range. Yeah, a range two AOE is like. It's kind of something that we haven't seen. You know, all scything is range one, and mostly when there's AOE effects, it's like 
a fighter and the adjacent fighters or something like that. So like having this big two hexes of a fighter is something like what six I think it's like sixteen ish hexes are, you know, touched by that. So, you know, you you are going to hit a huge portion of the board with this. But at the end of the day it's one damage to a lot of things for an action. Um I guess the question is, would you run a uh, a range two scything attack that you could only use once? That that said, like you know, one damage. This attack characteristic cannot be modified or something like that, because that's kind of what it is. And I don't know, like maybe I don't I don't know. I, I I'm not. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like anything that deals ping damage in an area can't be completely ignored because we know how good ping things are especially when your opponent can't roll defense dice or can't reduce damage by it or ignore it or whatever um we know how strong that is but the downsides seem to be not great yeah i mean like i think there are going to be scenarios where like this card is awesome in like rivals rivals plus but again like in a championship deck I think if you're relying on this card to help you win the game, I think you've seriously messed yeah, up. Yeah, uh, that's probably fair. You know, so. Um, so that's it for the up thematic yeah. and cool. The thematic, definitely. I mean, if you throw the Rivals deck together and you're just like putting these guys on for the first time or going to a Rivals event, they're going to play like the, the you know, the models look and like the lore uh, is red. Uh, they're going to feel like a bunch of witch hunters. Um, but that's not always necessarily the best way to build a rival stack. Yeah, I agree. I agree with uh, So that brings us to the end of our upgrades. Um, what do you think about the package overall? I think if you think the strength of the Warband lies in the objectives, you could be right. But I would say you're wrong because I think the strength of the Warband relies in these fantastic upgrades. Um, Plus one dice, you know, gaining glory points when fighters are killed, plus one defense, plus one damage, extra attacks. I mean, it's, they've got everything. What more do you want? Mm -hmm. You know, they even have a lantern for fun. I mean, (laughs) like there's, they're, they're really good. I'm a big fan of the Warbands upgrades. I think this is another... Like, the fact that you can take two, three, four faction upgrades and feel really good about your deck says something. And so I'm excited to see um, how this pans out. What about you? What do you think your overall thoughts are on the object or the up, uh, upgrades? Yeah, I, I think there are some, not necessarily misses, but like we said, kind of more fun thematic cards in here. But man, the cards that are good are just good. Charmed Horseshoe, insane. Cold Iron Nails, insane. Lucky Hexpeak Foot, very, very strong. Like, um, even Martyr's Fervor, we talked about the pluses and downs of, you know, having a slightly worse uh, Glory Seeker, but there's still plenty of pluses for it. Like, there, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, there, I don't think there are many uh, warbands in the game that can boast, like, wanting to put even three of their own faction upgrades in the deck. And usually when we have it, it, you know, something gets restricted because it's something like Wraith Creepers, and they just have really, really good upgrades. Um, 
I don't think any of these are so insane that you'd restrict them, but like, you know, they're all good enough where you pop them in and don't feel bad about it. Yeah. So what? Yeah, I completely. What is agree. your number one pick out of all of these, though? Charmed Horseshoe, easy. Plus one mm. dice. And snare for fun. I dig it. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Cold Iron Nails. I just think that we've seen how good Tome of Offering is. And while this is not necessarily like a we want to always be using our range one attack type warband, like, come on, man, plus one glory for kills, you know, an extra bounty on anything uh, you kill. That's that's pretty tasty. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's a it shuts down the raise mm-hmm. mechanic. Um, big fan of that, and uh, so I'm I'm really excited. I I, I mean I like the warband. I, obviously, they look fantastic. Mm-hmm. We didn't even get to the miniatures, and we can talk about that in a second. But overall, I'm pretty happy. Um, and that probably is a great segue. So let's you know as we've hit the two hour mark, which is right on time for these kind mm-hmm. of episodes. Um, let's spend the next couple of minutes just talking about the the warband as a whole and so let's start with the miniatures zach i mean like i think we've talked almost ad nauseum a little bit on how cool they look but like do you think the miniatures um, are going to be as successful as crimson court in in terms of people just picking them up to play i think absolutely i mean this is the same aesthetic that made people buy cursed city and (laughs) this box is a lot cheaper than cursed city as it turns out um Mm -hmm. And you get a lot more. You get a lot more witch hunter. So if you bought Curse City and you're like, man, I don't really like this, you know, this Caradron Overlord or like this Wood Elf or whatever. I really wish I had more of this like witch hunter Inquisition type uh, type aesthetic. You're definitely in luck. And you know they're they're cool. They're dynamic. Um, I like that they're not like they're the Nether Maze Core Box Warbands. The two of those were. Um, they were maybe a little overly spindly, you know, standing on one foot, jumping over a pipe or like clouded in shadow and like standing on a a wisp of smoke or something. Um, These look really nice. They're also nice and sturdy. Uh, I think they're just going to look amazing once painted up and on your shelf. So I, I, it's one of the more exciting ones that they've put out in a long time because it's not just, you know, oh, you know, it's a unit of brutes, but, like, with more character. Or, like, oh, it's just, you know, some zombies, but with a little bit more character. It's like, no, this is something completely new. Like, we've had witch hunters and, um, and like, kind of humans in the past, but not in a really long time. And I think it's just great. I think people are going to love them. I think people are going to pick them up for their D&D games or their, you know, to kit bash into their cities of Sigmar army. Uh, and hopefully they'll use them to play Underworlds, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping, like, this is another one of those warbands where... I Look, I think you're, a lot of people are going to buy them for the hobby aspect, and a lot of people who are going to mm-hmm. buy these are not going to play Underworlds, and that's okay. Because the more you buy Underworlds product, the more it is that they're going to continue and build Underworlds stuff. So um, I'm not too upset about that. What I What I will say is that if you are someone who wants to get your hands on these, and you are an Underworlds fan and player... I would put in the pre-order, um, whether it's with your local store or online, because these are going to go, um, just like Crimson Court did, I think. Um, 
Crimson Court were out of stock for like four months mid-season, right? Pretty crazy to think about. Um, so definitely do that. Um, now, we won't be covering the Universal cards today. That'll be in another episode, a uh, much shorter episode probably, but uh, we do like to break them up because these can get quite long. Um, but they'll both be live on the day of release, which is hopefully the day you're listening to this. Um, now, overall, Zach, what are your three favorite things about the Warband? Um, I, three favorite things. I like how synergistic they are. Uh, this is a Warband that's designed to like have a lot of moving parts, and then those moving parts you know, kind of come together to be greater than the sum of the parts. Um, you know, they've got death mm-hmm. reactions and they've got uh, unique inspire mechanics and they've got like glory that doesn't, you know, fighters that don't give glory up immediately in the dogs. Like there's just a lot of moving parts. And I think once you master them, it's going to feel like a completely different warband than when you started. So that's great. I love that. Um, I love that their rivals deck doesn't seem <laughs> bad. Like, you know, there have been some warbands in the past where you like you looked at the the cards in their rivals deck and you're like oh, I don't I just don't want to play this outside of championship, um, and this is not that I think you're going to have fun in any type of mode that you play these guys in, uh, and that's great for new players as well because new players love to play rivals. Um, and then I just I like that their objectives are going to be good going into championship. I mean, you know, kind of goes along with the last one. Good cards are good and good cards that remain good even when compared to strong universals is like man four surges that you're comfortable having in without having to like worry about replacement is just it's it's solid i think that's awesome yeah i think those are really three great points and i completely agree with all of them i love the synergy i love the aesthetic i love that there was a fantastic blend of theme and function, mm-hmm. right? Like cold iron nails. I love the little undead part aspect thrown into it. But ultimately, it's a great card nonetheless. I love the fact that there are cards where it's like inspire a fighter and draw a card. You know, like this warband really shows that the design team has learned um, about what cards worked and what didn't, and maybe how to incentivize cards that they wanted to make but weren't necessarily hits in the first place. And so while we can argue on how successful they were, I think ultimately every card is a success because every card feels like it belongs, feels like it's situationally powerful, if not overtly powerful, um, and seems like it's fun, which is cool. Like, this is going to be a warband where you're going to get tabled, you know, but then you're also going to do tabling. And it's just going to be fun. Um, And I think when it comes to championship play, I think smart players, as you mentioned in the earlier parts of the episode, cerebral players especially, are going to take advantage of that. Like, what's better than making your opponent make one bad decision? Well, making potentially multiple bad decisions. Because whenever any one of your fighters dies, one of your fighters benefits in some way, shape, or form. Which I think that's cool. And so where where it becomes interesting is like your opponent is almost against the clock, right? Like there's a tipping point where it's like, I have to kill his fighters or her fighters fast enough before they can accumulate X number of upgrades and synergy and movement and action economy, you know, to where they can just overcome 
the fact that I got some early kills, which is cool. Um, so I think there's a lot to unpack here. I think they're, they can be simple to play, but I think that there's going to be a high skill ceiling with this warband. Um, and I'm looking forward to unlocking the secrets and potential of the warband. Um, but more importantly, I'm excited to see what other people do with it. Um, I think that's always fun. So, yeah, definitely agree. Um, I think I'm not sure if it'll be a warband that I play extensively because it is a kind of like squishy fast aggro. It has not been one that I historically play a whole lot, but I'm definitely going to put some reps in on them because I think they are more interesting than a lot of previously made fast aggro, squishy aggro type warbands. Um, and I at least definitely want to to put some reps and put some hours in and, and see if I can make them work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And hey, you know what? Cold Iron Nails may be that card that uh, topples the death warband. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a good one. <laughs> um, well, cool. I think that pretty much sums up our thoughts here. And so um, if you're looking for a warband that um, is going to offer all of the things that we talked about, theme, fun, beautiful, gorgeous mm-hmm. miniatures, um, and some good laughs, while playing the game and some cool aha moments, this is the warband for you. Obviously, if you're a championship player or any sort of competitive player, um, you're going to want to pick this up because there are a set of universal cards that accompany it that you're going to want to check out. Um, and again, I just wanted to thank Games Workshop for sending us this free preview copy um, that we could um, discuss and share and create content for. And if you are uh, someone who likes to build decks on any of the deck builders, um, on the day of the embargo date, I will share these files that I have curated um, for the cards with those websites so that they can upload any game engines being used online as well as the deck building sites. So um, yeah, we're really excited. and I'm really looking forward to how the community reacts. But uh, before we close out the episode, Zach, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I'm just looking forward to having these and hobbying on them. And uh, I'm glad we're still getting great content out for Underworlds. Yes, exactly. And so, my listeners, our listeners, just remember that though you may be made of human flesh and blood, you have the ability to burn with conviction and bring with you the full might of humanity's ingenuity and artifice. You will let the shadows be afraid of you, so let the shadows beware. And once again, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash pathoglory. You can find all of our blog content at pathtogloriepodcast.com. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or in our Path to Glory Discord. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. As always, thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. Let the shadows beware. Thank you.